Hello, listener. It's me, Ed Fortune. You're listening to Starburst's Bookworm Podcast. I'm your host, and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. On the show today, I'll be talking about the Fangirl's Guide to a Galaxy, because I am a teenage girl. Um, and in, then, in your heart. Everyone's a teenage girl in, in their heart. And, and you'll be talking about... <laughs> I'll be talking about the Bloodline series by Richelle Mead. We'll also be talking about how awesome fandom is in general. And in case you've never listened to the show before, you can catch us on so- social media, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, at Radio Bookworm. We're also on um, Fab Ra- Mixcloud and the like, FabRadioInternational.com. We are here as part of Starburst Magazine's collection of podcasts. You can find us on the Starburst Magazine dot com website as well and subscribe yeah you can subscribe to us on itunes we really like it when you do that and all of that advertising out of the way i'm sure you're all interested in the books so coming up next we're going to talk about book news Woo-hoo! across the world So, in the exciting world of books, uh, books are always exciting, and book news is also also always exciting. Also, also, also. Also, 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 also. Oh, randomly, uh, Francis Harding is up for various awards. Still. Yay, Francis Harding! Um, we were a fan, and it's not just because we got trapped in a boom cupboard with her a little while ago. <laughs> sometime that, in, that was pretty awesome. Good times. Sometime in season two of, mm. the, of the show, which you can find by searching our Tumblr page. Um, shall we talk about a game of scones? Game of scones. Ryan has bought uh, some humour books, including the cookbook inspired by a game of thrones, um, called a Game of Scones: All Men Must Dine. Oh dear. <laughs> Uh, written like written by Jamie Lannister. Jammy, what? Jammy. Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. Um, it includes Tyrion's shortbread, red velvet wedding cake. Red velvet wedding cake. You, d- you don't want that And Jim and Cersei's family mess. Oh, no. Um, it sounds awesome. It does sound <laughs> awesome. Um, I, we, when we were at Nine Worlds, we got to talk to a lady who did these kind of, these kind of uh, secret... Secret, uh, secret eat essentially, where you came out to a house and she did these theme, theme dining things. Mm-hmm. Is this and like one of those secret restaurant things that's actually in somebody's living room? That's exactly Pretty what. Much, she, yeah. That's exactly what she was pop doing. Pop up restaurants, they're called. Are they pop up or are they underground? I thought they were underground. They pop up because it's like they pop up and then they go. I hate, I hate pop up is when it's on the high street and you. Yeah, yeah. Pop ups like, mm-hmm. like got actual licensing and stuff. And, and underground. You learn so, so, so when Almost Famous had its arson attack in the Northern Quarter here in Manchester, they had a pop up replacement by the Great Northern Warehouse. I see. Mm. So and then it and then it popped down when it's when they rebuilt. But, but yeah, underground is like we have no licensing. It's just somebody's house. You haven't told someone, and if you make too much money, someone comes around and makes sure that you, you, you're not feeding them rats or something. <laughs> uh, we talked to this lovely lady who was saying that she had no, absolutely, almost, absolutely no problems with a whole host of things up until the point where she got to Harry Potter, and then a nice man from Warner Brothers turned around. <laughs> Did he want feeding? Uh, he wanted feeding and also money. money. Yeah, he wanted the cash. Most so, so they called it Wizard School and used the same font because ones don't own the font or used a very similar font. Oh, yeah. Called it Wizard School and it was House. I think it was House Biffindor. <laughs> <laughs> and House Biverman and so on. 
this, did, did this all start with the with the sod it? Was that the start of this this slow descent into into parody? You see, I quite like the Sonic because it's uh, Adam Roberts, and Adam Roberts clearly halfway through goes, "I'm just trying to make a living," and you know, I like Adam Roberts' stuff because he's quite funny. But yeah, the Sonic is yeah, so it's not his finest work, shall we say? Fifty Sheds of Grey. Fifty Sheds of Grey. I think that's better good. than the actual book. <laughs> Sorry. Let's, let's, I'm let's, not going to be controversial. Please, let's not talk let's, about it. Let's let's not get down Never, that rabbit hole. Never ever talk um, about it. Um, <laughs> yes, there's some fantastic movies on. We're not a movie show, but if you want to go and see a movie this weekend, we we recommend Shaun the Sheep. Yeah, um, Fifty Shades of Hay. Which one? Kingsman's excellent. Oh yeah, it's oh, very I good. really want to watch that. Based on uh, Mark Miller's The Secret Service. Absolutely. Uh, which is also quite good, though also quite different. Like. Like a lot of Mark Miller's stuff that gets converted into movies, actually nothing like the comic book after the first. But I heard minutes. that actually that's not a bad thing for Kingsman. That that it actually works. It's not a bad thing. It. It's not a bad thing for any of Mark Miller's work. <laughs> um, and I'm not being mean now, but what Mark Miller seems to do is he produces a first issue, and he produces enough of a first issue to run around Hollywood going, "Hey, look at my books." Um, and then if you look at the start of Wanted, for example, the first ten minutes is exactly like the comic book. And then it goes on a tangent. And then it goes on an entirely different tangent because the rest of the comic book hadn't been out there. <laughs> and it, there's there's no way you can really film that either. True. So, um, cause, uh, so yeah, we, we I, I I like spoofed, and I mean this this is a cookbook, but so so it'll be fun and it'll give you a giggle. Bonus recipes. I know. Assuming I know. they actually are genuine recipes, I'm assuming they are. <laughs> Jammy recipes. Well, red velvet cupcakes are genuinely a thing, aren't they? They are. Oh indeed. yeah, yeah. Well, red velvet cake is a thing. Yeah. So yeah. Red velvet. Wedding cake. Red velvet, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just works. Yeah. Let's face it, it works. In other news, the science fiction and fantasy writers of America, the SFWA, have discovered that small press exists. <laughs> My word. Dun, 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 dun. And are extending active and associate memberships to self published and small press authors. It's almost as if Hugh Howie has some money and they want it. He said. He, he said slightly cynically. Um, uh, President Stephen Gould explained writers write. Professional writers get paid a decent amount of money for what they write. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, if you're getting paid and you're making a living out of it, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to join the equivalent of the writers' union. Um, to me, it seems ridiculous it's taken this long. But well done, SFWA, uh, for, for joining the rest of the world. Um, also, one of these days I might join you, so I'll not say something <coughs> horrible. Is this not a bit like... And again, we're tangenting off from the books here. Is this not a bit like mainstream media, which is just catching up to the fact that people are making TV shows and putting them on YouTube? It's I well, that you know, there's about a gazillion, bazillion online pay, like newspapers and magazines that um, are actually not bad. Mm. Guilds and unions and the like are by their nature conservative because they have to look after their members and therefore are very, very reserved. They don't have much resources and they're being very, very steady and careful. So as a rule, they tend to be behind the times, which is unfortunate because you kind of want them to be dynamic and fighting your corner. But Um, Yeah, no, I mean, to be fair, obviously all of us do this radio thing as a, as a side to our ordinary boring lives and my ordinary boring job has a trade union that is so far behind the times it's face palming <laughs> really, it, it is it just... did it not recently face palm itself so hard it lost consciousness <laughs> yeah which actually improved its service yeah um self-published chambers on the kitschy shortlist uh talking about self-published stuff uh, a novel a novel self-published uh following a kickstarter campaign uh, is now competing against books from Jonathan Cape and, Cape and Blackfriars. Jonathan Cape, not Jonathan Cake. That's a 
different publishers. Cake is uh, that a spoof? That's a spoof. Yeah, <laughs> it's Jonathan Cape books that do um, do, do cakes. Um, the Kitchies, uh, which are, are all about novel novels, um, and all about clever, speculative, and fantastic works, and now include Chambers. Hurrah! Um, oh, memory, a memory of water by Amy Taranto is on there for the Golden Ten- Tentacle for mm. best debut. Does Ooh. any of this stuff include fanfic? I'm aware that the Hugos make a vague nod towards fanfic. Uh, not as yet, mm. but the, the thing with the Kitchies is that now that they've now that a self-published work has got on there on the list, mm. basically when it comes to the Kitchies, if there was a if there was a thing that was fanfic and it was you know at a level of commercial amazingness and it was had that buzz and it hit their criteria i'd imagine given given the way they are because they're quite dynamic i imagine they probably would but this is you know i don't know because i'm 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 a big fan of fanfic as as you and possibly half our audience know Fanny should mention that today (laughs) because today ladies and gentlemen it's february 15th international fan works day yay We like fun works. It is international fun works. I was going to say actually, just on the kitchies, maybe we should get Jared on the show at some point and ask him. Yeah, yeah. That's talking about, cool. about, about fan fiction. But hey, yes, if we're talking about awards, do we want to talk about the Hugos? We do. We always want to talk about the Hugos. If you're entitled to vote for the Hugos yeah. um, and you're listening to the show, then you should vote for us. Please, <laughs> um, please. <laughs> I, let's just be we'll love you forever. We'll have you on the show. And, unfortunately, <laughs> make us win. <laughs> unfortunately, it's too late to buy, buy a voting membership by this point. Um, but if you're already there, you, you can help. Love us, hate us, give us a vote. Uh, and begging us, a, uh, begging aside, shall we talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not begging. Shall we talk about? <clears throat> also, so, also International Farm Works Days. Woohoo! Also, we like chocolate. We're begging. I like chocolate. I like chocolate. And books. And wine. Books and, and chocolates. Mm. Uh, International Farm Works Day. Um, but getting back to the point. Uh, February the 15th. It is February the 15th. Right now, as we're speaking to you, as we're recording this show, you're probably listening to this in the year 2020, trying to work out what happened to civilization. <laughs> also. It all went downhill from right here in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> it all started with International Fan Works Day. Uh, maybe not. No. Um, so yes, tell me. Tell me about International Fan Works Day because I haven't a clue. Why is it international? Why what? is it fan worky? <laughs> You're asking me stuff? I am indeed asking you stuff. Should we talk about International Fan Works Day at the end? Should of we talk show? about it in, in the bit at the end where we exactly chatter about books? Yeah, because then we can get into it. But basically, it's celebrating fan works, mm. fanfic, fan art, anything to do with fan you work know, of all kinds. Fans loving shows, loving books, loving whole made up universes so much that they devote part of their times, whether as a hobby, sometimes even as a full time job, uh, just pre- producing stuff that is to do with those with those worlds uh, so we'll go into it more later uh, are we looking at ed's review i, I was going to say talking about fan things i think i'll talk about a fangirl's guide to the galaxy but we'll be back after these short messages hello listener i'm going to review the fangirl's guide to the galaxy uh that guide for geek girls um, so a handbook even for Girl Geeks by Sam Maggs. Now, you might be thinking, but Ed, you're, you're a man pushing 40. He is not a girl. <laughs> you are a geek. You're a massive geek. And you probably also have quite, at some point in your life, eaten a live chicken. I'm not going to confirm or deny if I have. But as far as the definition of geek goes, I'm pretty much a comprehensive geek. <laughs> 
So okay. the producer Al staring at me going, what on earth are you talking about? Uh, there's an old-fashioned definition of geek that says someone who eats live animals. Of course, I never, I've never done that. Oh. You see, anyway, I've gone on a total tangent before I've started about this. Right, this is a glorious book, short version. Are you sure you've not eaten any live animals? Oh, well, let's not get into it. No, because I'm, I'm aware of your journalistic past. That's a different story. <laughs> that is, that's not for today. Um, that's, that's, dark yeah. secrets in the past of Edward Fortune. It's not so much a dark secret, it's been in the national press. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, fa- shall, shall I get back to you? Fan yes, let's yes. go to the galaxy. A handbook for girl geeks. Is but it awesome? It is awesome. It's very well il- illustrated. I found it... Um, a st- Producer Al also had a chance to, to read for it. I read a book! I read a book! Woohoo! Um, it doesn't take very long, Mostly. actually. It's quite, it's quite a slim hardback. Mm. Um, obviously, we have ha- I have my version on my Kindle. Yes. Um, but it's quite a, quite a slim book. It's coming out in a couple of months' time. I quite liked it. I quite enjoyed it, and I'll tell you why. Firstly, Sam Mags is really chatty. Like the style is really kind of like, hello. Um, if I was a sixteen-year-old girl or boy, or, or or not entirely sure, and someone had pressed this into my hands right now, when I didn't have a clue what was going on in the world, and I was a fan of you know I was a fan of Doctor Who and I was a fan of Sherlock and I was a fan a fan of Supernatural, but I had no idea what uh, Super Who Lockian is, then. You know, I'd be like, oh, okay, what What are all these people telling me that I have a worldview? What are all these people telling me that I have a specific opinion? Um, and, and what this does is it sits down and goes, right, here are the fandoms that you can find easily on social media. Here are the things that you can get into quite easily. Mm. Here are the things to look out for. Here are the things to avoid. And mostly it's the, the thing she advises you to yeah, avoid is the, getting into fights. There is a bit at the start where she's talking about all the different fandoms. Having had a chance to think about this overnight, what I very much think it is, is sort of the I spy guide to fandoms. It's like you remember when, you, if, if you are our age, sort of 30s, approaching 40, you will remember the I spy books from when you were a kid and when you were going on long car journeys with your parents and you'd sit there and tick off the things you'd seen when you were out and about in the car journey or when you got to wherever you were going. Um, and the, the the first bit where she's talking about, you know, if you are a super who lucky and this is what you will wear, or if you are a, um, an anime person, this is what you will wear, or if you are this part from the fandom, this is what you will wear. Uh, and that very much sort of felt, having thought about it overnight, as I say, that it's, it's a, a little bit like guide. an ice pack. It is, it's a spotter's guide. I, I did find that, I did like the idea of being able to tick things off as, you know, you saw someone who was a ringer or toddler night. I didn't actually realise, because I'm so embedded into the community, that there's a thing, there's Unsullied and there's Bookwalkers, apparently. There's a there's a difference between Game of Thrones fans who have read the books and Game of Thrones fans mm, who haven't read the books. Uh, um, but you, you're always going to get this, aren't you? Some One person's definition of... of fandom and what counts and how you define it is always going to be different from somebody else's and how you pigeonhole it. What's fascinating about this is that she's clearly gone to social media and tried to work out how people have tried to define themselves. Yes, yes. What's fascinating, of course, is that fandom is not a new thing. You know, we we joke about the Hugos, but they've been around for 70 to 80 years. You know, fandom, fandom is very old and very kind of, you know, established. And for a very long time, fandom looked old and white and male. And then suddenly, there's a massive w- rush of new media. There's a massive rush of access to all of this stuff. And suddenly, there's lots of young people. And the young people start redefining everything because there's no one there running around guiding them. There's no one there saying, oh, well, you shouldn't. Or, or if they do, they're being kind of I, I, I see, and awkward m- about it. My view is it's less young people and more 
women and girls, which is what this book is obviously aiming towards, it's obviously aiming to be. If you are a girl, don't be scared by the nasty trolls on the internet who are going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. Um, and I think there's a lot of women. And you say young girls. I'm part of a fandom which has a surprising number of elder women. You know, I am not the oldest person in one of my fandoms. There are a good few people who are older than me because one of them's got O-levels. Do you find this useful? I found it interesting, yeah. Um, very much in the vein of you are not alone. Um, I found it interesting. Um, I don't think I'm quite the demographic for it. I, As I was saying when we were sort of discussing this before the show, I think um, like we've got a mate who's got two daughters and I think he might buy it for them when they get to sort of 10 or 11 as a sort of, here you go, here's a, a very loose guide. Uh, what I don't think was in it that I would have maybe liked to have seen was a specifically where you go, because I don't think it really talks about Tumblr all that much. And it, a lot of the content is very obviously from Tumblr. It, it talks about the different realms of social media and it's most favourable towards Tumblr, but it also talks about Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it. Yeah, you see, I'm not massively sure so maybe, about Facebook, to be honest with you. It's missing sort of like a table of resources somewhere. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a bit of one at the back. It, it's got that. It's quite, I mean, it's quite good for some stuff, yeah. What it's lacking is depth, because the subject is so broad. Yeah, absolutely. It's across the surface. So it talks about the seven lands of social media and it goes through, you know, goes through Pinterest. And it goes so so it's an introduction to, as opposed to a comprehensive integration. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's but, a good fact, yes. But it does a bit of diving at points, so it has interviews with various mm-hmm. people. And you um, know what? I'd have liked to have read more of those. The interview, the interviews are quite good because what she'll do is she'll take she'll take a, a female, a prominent female, uh, involved in the the media, yeah. one of the media types, and then she talks to them at uh, at length. So, for example, there's an interview of Erin Morgenstern. But again, I actually fantastic. felt I actually felt, uh, and I was flicking through it on the Kindle that they uh, that they were quite brief. I would have liked to have read maybe more of those, especially the Jane Espenson one. The feminism section I found, I found fascinating because <laughs> oh, it's so American. It is very American. It's very American in its approach because it it, it lays things out in a way that is trying to uh, it's, uh, not that, upset that, so many conservative people. You know what? And the thing that really annoys me about that is that my fandom isn't in it. Um, neither of my two big fandoms are in it. It talks about feminism and it says, "Right, I'm going to take you through some stuff that is popular." in the fandoms and it's very feminist and positive and has has lead female protagonists and it does not mention either call the midwife or miss fisher's murder mysteries but your fandoms are european and australian and one of the problems of this book is it's very north american it is but it segues into anime quite easily but again that's a very north american thing because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of Americans who absolutely adore Japan, and Japan adores America. They have this. But the thing, the, but the thing is, Call the Midwife airs on PBS in America. It does very well. You could argue that Doctor Who, of course, is a, is a, is a British fandom, mm. but it's an international fandom. It's been around for fifty years. You can't avoid. But she she talks about Super Who Who Lock, yeah, um, exactly. and Sherlock is quintessentially British and has had like what nine episodes at this point, I think. But again, you can't you know. get them all. What I, what I did find... Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you're never going to get them all. What I did find fascinating about that kind of diving into that section is, A, she sits there and goes, no, 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 don't feed the trolls. She sits down and explains it very simply, and it's like, can, can men be feminists? Yes, of course they can. You know, it's, it's full of what to us is obvious, but 
to someone who's still exploring, you know, you have a stunning amount of times that you meet someone who just goes, well, I don't, don't like feminism because it's all about female superiority. No, it's no. Not. And, and it is, this is a great thing just to throw at someone and say, just read that section. The other thing that doesn't get mentioned at all, which is very American, is web series. Because this book is recent enough that the Lizzie Bennet diaries could be, could be referenced, even if only in passing. But again, it's you know it I takes think, an hour and a half to. Read. I mean, yeah, I so haven't true. read it, but by what you're both saying, it seems like okay. Here's a broad way of telling you this is okay. Be careful with this. These are some resources you might want to yeah. delve into. Yeah. So it's not a comprehensive. No, no. My my criticism yeah. my criticism is I could have I wanted more. That's my criticism, but which is never a terrible thing, is it? You also said that is not your demographic. No, well, so yes. So as, yeah. as a sort of more grown-up woman, obviously you wanted a bit more meat mm. in, in your sandwich. Yeah. Uh, this sandwich is pretty much just, you know, you just put some butter down and some cheese, but the rest is up to you. It, it very much is a basic guide. When I was 13, I was handed something like a Beat Streetwise book. And then, <laughs> it, 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 you it, never read it, did you? I mean... Uh, <laughs> and I read it from cover to cover because I'm a studious geek. And it, but it was written in, in a language that none of my peers spoke. It was clearly written by someone in their 40s trying to speak down to, to mm. children. And, you know, it was essentially don't do drugs, kids, you know, or you use contraception and all this. And it was all the basic fairly obvious stuff and this is kind of the same sort of thing but it has got nothing to do with that sort of thing and everything to do with all the things that people love all the little fan things all the little marvel stuff you know if you've got a crush on tom hiddleston and you want to know where you go from there then this is a useful guide. yeah no i agree as i say if i was the 10 11 12 year old girl and it was like i like this thing how do i do more about that then it would be very useful for I, point i mean me talking pointers. about friends another friend of ours recently took their kids to san diego comic-con and their eldest, who I believe is 13, um, kind of, she's really into her comic books, but she was feeling a little bit uncomfortable because of, you know, because of stuff like the male gaze and this sort of thing. And she's feeling just generally uncomfortable and not quite able to find her feet. And I think that, again, this book would have been really useful for her because it's more friendly kind of you know there are other women out there who love the things that you love do not be intimidated by the trolls do not be intimidated by, by anyone by anyone certainly do not be intimidated by old men who haven't a clue um so i mean all in all it seems like a, a positive attempt to you know put put a um perspective into what's out there for female geeks also it talks about fanfic which i quite like Yay. It, it, it's a great book for female female geeks it's aimed at female geeks it's also quite a book quite a useful book too you might have to throw it with some force uh the sort of sort of person who who twitches uncomfortably when they hear words like geek feminism or super hulock or hubian and this sort of thing if they're you know the the older gent shall we say who isn't who you know who isn't mean but is perhaps ignorant could do with carefully reading through this sort of thing it would give them better ideas to what to do. So this is on Quirk Books, which is an imprint of Random House. Um, it uh, will be, be available in an e-version uh, very soon. Probably by the time you listen to this, you should be able to get it. Um, or you, know, you sh- certainly should be able to order it. Um, and it's by Sam Maggs. So check it out. We quite enjoyed it. Um, coming up next, we're going to clock round for a while.
So if you were listening to us live, you'll have seen us possibly on the webcam boogieing around. If you're listening to us not live, or you're listening to us in the far and distant, then dim future, then <laughs> you've missed all of that and you it have no the idea. Year. 2112. <laughs> and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that doesn't change a thing, really. Ninfa, you have a book. I, I, I do. I do. In fact, I have a bunch of books. Mm. Um, so um, today it's all about Rochelle Mead's Bloodlines series. Uh, this is a young adult. Um, it's sort of like late teens mostly young adults it's published by Razor uh, and it's a spin-off series from her um, more famous um, Vampire Academy series um, the last book in the series The Ruby Circles literally just come out three days ago uh, and it's selling like crazy because there's a big fandom woohoo um, around around the whole universe um, of Vampire Academy and Bloodlines um, so um, Bloodlines um, it's it's six books it spans through six books and it follows the adventures of Sydney Sage um, Sydney is an alchemist she's part of a secret society that uh, sort of helps uh, Moroi who are kind of like good vampires so they're not vampires that go around killing yes they do feed on blood they also eat other things but they can't survive without the blood um, and they don't like sunlight but they can live in sunlight uh, and they have magic uh, which is tied to the elements. So there's the four basic elements, uh, water, uh, earth and fire. And then there's a fifth element, which is just sort of kind of like been rediscovered in Moroi society, uh, which is um, spirit. Um, and spirit is more about controlling the mind and healing and like like big sort of miracles, like bringing people back from um, being turned into Strigoi. Now, the Strigoi is more like your Nosferatu type of vampire. So Strigois are um, big red eyes, really pale, will die in sunlight. You have to, like, kill them with a silver stake in the heart. Uh, and um, they they particularly like, you know, killing and, and drinking all of the blood. Uh, and a special delicacy is Moroi blood. Um, so to protect the Moroi, you've got Dampiers, who are the um, offspring of Moroi and humans. And although now this is very frowned upon, so Moroi don't intermingle with humans and have babies and get married, this is really, really not good. Um, once upon a time they did, and Dampiers were born. Uh, now Dampiers uh, cannot um, sort of reproduce with each other, so they need Moroi to make more Dampiers. Uh, um, and to sort of like balance out this relationship, the Dampier get trained mostly to be guardians and protect the Moroi's lives. Uh, so there's a slow sort of like a symbiotic uh, relationship between the two. So this is more Vampire Academy? Yeah, but it gives you the basics because basically Sydney, who is an alchemist, is very, very human. Uh, she doesn't like vampires, uh, so she doesn't like Moroi. She very much doesn't like Dampier uh, or and obviously hates Strigoi because they're the bad guys in the story. Uh, but Sydney has a bit of a different journey. She starts off at the end of Vampire Academy of the series uh, and you meet her there through Rose's eyes and Rose Hathaway is like the main character in the Vampire Academy series. Um, 
And then Sydney then embarks in her own journey uh, to protect a member of a royal family. I'm not going to go into too, too much detail because there might be some spoilers for those who haven't read Vampire Academy as a series and would like to before they delve into Bloodlines. They're not mutually exclusive, so you could read Bloodlines and then decide to find out what happened before. Um, and, and you can do that, no problem. Um, Bloodlines follows Sydney, and then at one point it also follows Adrian Ivashkov, who is a Maroi, part of a royal family. Um, he is basically part of the Vampire Academy series as well and has a bit of a fling with Rose and then gets um, rebuffed. Uh, and gets a bit of a broken heart. Um, mm. Things happen that tie him in with Jill, who is the person that um, Sydney's trying to protect. They get all sent out to a human school uh, because Jill needs to be outside of court for her own protection. Nobody knows where she's, apart from a very select few um, Moroi, including the Queen, and some um, of the alchemists who have obviously given Sydney the... the, the um, role of protecting her oh my goodness does it turn into clueless but with vampires no oh. no not quite uh, there is an element especially in the first couple of books of whodunit so that there is like the baddie of the day but all throughout there's a massive overarch about what's going on with the alchemist society a big look into what they do and why they do it uh, which is really really interesting and then obviously there's the other side so you still see what's going on in the Maroi world there's a lot of politics between these these different races if you like because that's what they are um and and then there's sydney's personal voyage throughout the whole box and how she sort of comes to regard these people that she's been sort of conditioned all her life to to fear and hate but to help because it's in the best interest of humanity that humanity doesn't know that these moroi and strigoian people exist um but they're tainted, so they need to be kept in their little world, separate. Um, so mainly the role of the alchemist is make sure none of this comes out. Um, so if there's any Strigoi kills, an alchemist will go there, sprinkle some powder on him, and the bodies will dissolve. They play a lot, like the name suggests, with um, chemical compounds. Um, and it's all about science, and it's it's very sort of like almost... almost religious well i say almost it is there's a religious element to it uh where you know vampires bad tainted no matter what and humanity good so is there an element of this where it's that they're trying to turn lead into gold but that's a metaphor for ascension and ah, you see, i'm glad you asked the alchemists have a golden tattoo on their cheeks which unless you're looking for it or the light reflects in a certain way you won't notice uh, and this is um bound by maroi blood um and basically it gives them a almost a compulsion to not talk about alchemist stuff with outsiders to obey the establishment and other things and there is a play of things on on the gold and the alchemist but not that's not what they do right oh, that's interesting yeah it th th there's a very interesting take i mean rochelle mead does um sort of mythology and 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 legends and all that kind of thing really well i, I think she actually she actually studied for it, so she has a degree in, in, in theology and comparative religion. How much does this suffer from the conventions of a young adult no novel? Um, I mean, 
I think in in terms of young adult, Vampire Academy was always a cut above the others in my eyes. Um, it's very good, very engaging. Um, and yes, the, there is a love story, but it's not the main bit. Bloodlines, there is a love story which plays a massive, um, massive part in the story. However, it's interesting because it's it's a bit of a Romeo Juliet situation. Uh, she falls for the guy she shouldn't fall for, uh, but it defies convention in a way. So it, it's nice to see that you know it's not just about oh he's a dangerous guy. Actually, he's not in a way. He's a yes, a bit of a tortured soul, but he wants to do good, and he has you know he he he's um he's way of looking at her it's actually empowering because she's not a damsel in distress she's very very competent so much more competent than her male love interest and he recognizes that and it's quite refreshing so she she doesn't need saving all the time and once she does is actually for a pretty good like reasons it's not like oh my god i can't do this it's more of a fact of oh gods you know i'm in this really difficult situation and something's happened and i have no power on my own to get out i'm still gonna try but you know eventually someone will need to help me from the outside world as well um this is like later on in the series especially uh when things happen and she gets um sort of put in a in a kind of like recovery place i'm not again i'm not going to go into too much uh, that was really hard to read um it's really well written and and very sort of like quite dark look into like mind conditioning and and behavioral conditioning um and it was very interesting to see it done i still prefer vampire academy as a series but that's mainly because it's a lot more paced there's a lot more action into it um bloodlines is a times a little slow for me but it still works there's still a lot to love about the series and there's a lot of like interesting messages in there um that i think it's uh, it's definitely worth picking up as a series so who's it by and who's it who's it for who's it by and where can i get it well i'm 38 and i really enjoy it um but i will say it's definitely for your older teens and up upwards um it's um if you're a vampire academy fan and haven't picked the the bloodline series yet it's a fantastic way of opening up uh, the rest of the world um adds a lot to the whole story um if you like romantic stories it's for you if you like dark paranormal romance it's definitely for you um it's by Richelle Mead. Uh, the first book in the series is called Bloodline. The last book in the series has just come out, so you can just buy the six and just read them throughout a few weeks and enjoy sort of like Sydney's story. Uh, it's published by Razor, and it's available out there in all of your major bookline stores as well as your little independent ones. Coming up next, more fan stuff. <laughs> the world 24 hours a day this is Fab Radio International (laughs) 
So then, fans, we are Yay. fans. We I are all fan. fans of something or everything. Uh, I, I'm a fan of many, many, many things. It's interesting how there's the old definition of fan and the new definition of fan. Because um, when we had George Martin on, he was all, oh, well, fan fiction. When I, in my day, fan fiction meant that you were a fan who wrote fiction. In his day, fan fiction was written by white men in forms that they approved of in printed magazines. Not that I'm saying anything. I might be saying something. It's interesting how it's changed. Mimin, get back in your box. <laughs> you see... No! I think that's a bit mean. I think that's more than a bit mean. I think there's an element of that to it. There's certainly an element to, to, to that. And I think that's an element that... The producer that's... is looking at you with murderous rage. I will just <laughs> run right now. Just, 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 shh, go away. There's a no, no, no. There's a there's a, there's a difference between um, being a tool of patriarchy and then being an active uh, active participant. Um, it really is a strong difference, and one of the things that you quite, that it's hard to identify, especially in the evolution of fandom, um, is yes, it was mostly dominated by by white men um, of a certain certain social class and certainly a social social standing, but it did change radically. Yes, yeah, but it's like anything that's dominated by white men of a certain social class, isn't it? It's like when Jane Austen and the Brontes were first writing, they published under male-sounding pseudonyms. But fan- George Eliot, you know, fan- well. fantasy and science fiction and genre in general has been more flexible in that regard. Let's yeah. let, let's yes. be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I mean um, Marion Zimmer Bradley was quite big and only got bigger and was very prolific. And um, I remember when I first started reading, uh, it didn't quite occur to me, uh, but she she, she was often referred to as a misogynist uh, because most of the time the women were the stronger characters um, and and the males were sort of like pick and then throw away. <laughs> um, it wasn't really. And I mean, I've, I've read um, her Dark Over series, which is really, really interesting. Um, and she was one of the first ones to sp- speak about, you know, um, transsexuals and androgyny and things mm-hmm. like that in her stories uh, as a normal thing. She had a race that after every few years changed gender. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, but I remember my shock when I read... Um, I, th- I think it was uh, uh, an encyclopedia of, of sci-fi and fantasy. And I remember opening up the book in a W.H. Smith shop and going, because obviously I was I wanted to know about her. And I was reading, and, and there was this, this guy that was saying, oh, yeah, she, was, she you know, in later years she became a, a big misogynist. And it shocked me, because I thought, no, she has interesting male characters as well. It's just that the female ones tend to be the ones that are sort of driving the storylines. We, we've dipped into a fairly dark direction, actually, because one of the things that's... I mean, Marion Zimmer Bradley, more than anyone else, um, is an example of what hap- of the early... an early example of fandom when things turn. Well, yeah. And scandal occurs and stuff goes wrong. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, we talked we'll, about it we, when, when we'll, I reviewed one of her books. We'll not get into the details because... Whoa, 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 back away. Uh, you can look it up on the online. It's yeah. it's quite a quite a lot there, but not a year goes by without there being some sort of controversy of some sort of direction. I mean, there's only a couple of a couple of episodes ago we were talking about sad puppies, and this sort <laughs> no. of and, and this sort of manufactured co- controversy that happens in established shall we call it ancient fandom in the ancient fandom in the fandom that's been around since ever. 
and then you look at the the new fandoms, and you look at your, your sh- super Hulokians and all this all this stuff, and they also have their own mini scandal and their own oh, kind yeah. of stuff yeah. going on. And I think at the end of the day, it's just people. And if you're a passionate person that's passionately into something, then when something goes wrong, then you're passionate about it. And oh my giddy aunt, does it get a bit? <laughs> oh my too, giddy aunt, does it not? It just gets a bit too much sometimes. And I can see how people get so intensely into it but we've we've stepped away from we've talked we're talking about fandom now rather than fan creation and what fans create and there is there, there has been this evolution between saying well if you're a fan you start off as a fan you create your own stuff and then you become you know maybe maybe you get published by by one of the gatekeepers and then you go from fan to professional and now we've gone now the rules have changed the rules are now if you're a fan you play in someone else's sandpit unofficially for a while, and then maybe you graduate further. Mm. Um, producer, I was sort of reading bits before, uh, which were really interesting about how creating within a fandom and writing fanfic can actually help um, writers sort of find their own fit. And we've touched on this before, because, um, you know, you have you have a world already there for you. You're just making up your stories. But most of the time, you've got to be careful that you're still faithful to the original character spirit mm. um, so that people, when they're reading your stories, they recognise that character in your own words. And it's a really hard thing to do. You know, you, you need a lot of skill to do that. Um, and I think it's a good exercise, yeah. you know, stretching your yeah. muscles if you, and if finding you, your own feet. If you want to be a writer... Why not start off using somebody else's characters and somebody else's world to get into figuring out how you write? And that's what this this um, this person says. Shall I read a bit for me? Yes, yeah. please. Yeah, uh, this is. Bear with me a second. I'll just press that. There you go. Uh, this is uh, Christina Lauren, who is um, an author. Um, I don't know much about her. Very sorry about that. Uh, well, but maybe the, 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 yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll social media. Um, she, she's been part of a roundtable chat last week, um, and she says, writing fanfic not only teaches us how to write basic rules of grammar, story structure, pacing, plot arcs, but skills beyond the written word, how to conduct yourself in an online forum, how to accept criticism, how to create and maintain an online presence. We often say that every published author should go through fandom boot camp first, because one of the best and worst things about online communities is that readers don't filter their criticism. Although sometimes it can be harsh and often not very constructive, it teaches writers to learn what to heed and what to ignore, how to integrate feedback into the editing process and how to figure out what resonates with readers. Writing is rewriting. Mm. I mean, it's one of those things. And I think one of the criticisms of fan fiction and fan writing is that it only exercises part of the creative process, to which I will point out that Actually, when you're exercising, you want to start off with gentler exercises and not ha- only having to work on your legs rather than your legs and your arms is a good way to start because eventually... Don't run a marathon straight off. Yeah, eventually you'll get to your arms. But, you know, start the legs first. Or yeah. start, start with one set of exercises. So if that's playing in someone else's sandpit, go for it. I have to say, uh, if you want to write Game of Thrones fan fiction, I think you should. <laughs> and, 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 and I know that the author doesn't want you to, but you know what? He's written the book. You've bought the book. That's it. It's out in the world now. You can do whatever you want with it. I think. I think. I mean, you're not allowed to make don't, any money. Don't out of it. you know? Don't muck in the sandpit. 
just play in it. I think yeah. that that would be probably and, and the, the way thing, of putting it. Because, uh, you know, not every author is happy for you to do it, but as you say, it's out there, and, you know, if you want to do it, do it. Just be, be aware that that's someone's baby. I mean, the thing Mr Martin said to you was, oh, well, I wasn't writing fanfic, it doesn't count as fanfic because I use my original characters. And actually, that's lovely, fantastic, good. I think if you look at the progression of a lot of fanfic authors, I read a lot of fanfic for my particular fandoms, and people start off, sort of doing what you might call the missing scenes from whatever version yes, of media it is. Yeah, so you end up in. so you end up with the bit that isn't in the book, the bit that isn't in the film, the bit that isn't in the T V series. And then you sudden and then so you'll see people progress. So they'll start taking the original characters and putting them into a world that's just slightly outside of the, of the world of the setting. You know, it, it's an original story. Um and then they'll start adding original characters and then at some point they might do something completely out of left field that has the same characters in it, but is other than that completely alternate universe. You know, like it's a different time. It's a different point in time. It's a diff- You know, it's in space. Um, they live in South America and it's in Europe, or you know, whatever that sort of mm-hmm. thing. I would argue as well that if you look at um, the birth of American fantasy, an awful lot of an awful lot of kind of nineteen. 19- 40s, 1950s American fantasy writing is Robert E. Howard fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's what what they've done is they've taken a character who is bold and strong and has a huge sword and is essentially Conan called him Nonog, Nonog, mm. barbarian. He's not a Chimerian, he's mm. a Cimmerian. Um, and he does exactly the same things. And all you've done is you've changed the name and you're writing Conan fanfic. I mean, I think the thing that still annoys me is the Sherlock thing. And how how suddenly one version of fandom and fanfic is more valid than the other. And when Caitlin Moran stood up and made Cumberbatch and Freeman read the bit of that, of that slash fic without any permission whatsoever from the author and everybody was horrendously embarrassed about the entire thing apart from Caitlin Moran who thought it was cute. But I would like to point out, Sherlock is fanfic. It's just acceptable fanfic that's got a big budget and has been made directly into a oh, TV absolutely. show. Dante's Inferno is fanfic. Yeah, everything is flipping fanfic. Shakespeare, half the time, is fanfic. He's, Shakespeare, frankly, barely has an original idea. And a lot of his histories are very much fanfic because the version that comes across in history of those is either favourable or unfavourable to previous kings, depending on who was on the throne at the time and the narrative they wanted to see. Oh, yeah. But that's it as well. Because he wasn't daft and he wasn't about to lose his head. <laughs> you know. There's a, there's a whole element of permission. And I think there's also a thing where I can remember being a younger writer thinking, am I actually allowed? Mm. I mean, and you have such respect for authors. And people yeah. do have such respect for authors because you invest so much time and you explore these new worlds. And the thing that we forget, because we're about older, is that we forget that the first time, the first time that you read a, a good piece of fiction that takes you away is the first time. So if your mm. first ever book was Twilight, then you'll think that Twilight is brilliant. And it's only until you have read more and read more widely that you'll see how derivative it is. Mm. I used to adore the Dragonlance books. Oh, and, yeah. And then I read much more fantasy. Yeah. I came back to it when I was in my 30s and realised how derivative those books are because they really are. Someone but you know what? It's okay because you love them and mm. it's fine and they open your eyes to many other things. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, no. I, I didn't realise that they'd locked Lord of the Rings and Conan the Barbarian in a room and had a baby. That, that's essentially <laughs> what those two books are. We should think about running away. We should, we should, oh, we should, we should, we should. It's so interesting. I uh, know, I know. It's, it's, we've done the thing we always do, but we should have a 
little stingy jingle thing and then we should come back and say goodbye. Oh, okay. Okay. Across the world, 24 hours a day. I've been your host Ed Fortune and it's goodbye from me. And I've been your hostess, Nympha Hayes, and it's goodbye from me too. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>